Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. And I am not as rageful as John at the Ohio State Buckeyes right now. <laughs> we are extremely excited to be joined by Jay Sharman, uh, Lake the Posts, um, Northwestern ultra super mega fan. Um, Jay, thank you so much for, for jumping on with us tonight. Uh, obviously, a lot to talk about with uh, Northwestern taking the hat for the sixth consecutive season and uh, going on to play Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. Yeah, guys, I'm I'm so excited to be back. Thanks for having me. And uh, tough shoes to fill after Mr. Rittenberg last week. So I'll, I'll bring my A game. <laughs> it's funny. We were uh, we were just thinking. It seems like uh, uh, a million years ago in another world, we were on with you, Sacred Saturdays preview. You know, top reliving the Notre Dame game um, <laughs> in a time when I think we all thought we weren't going to be playing football, and uh, we were thinking. Which I mean, first of all, kudos to you because. That filled, um, you know, some otherwise very empty weeks and, you know, that it took someone having the foresight to be like, you know what we do have this year, the 25th anniversary of the Rose Bowl season um, and uh, and, you know, carried us through there. And I think that though having those great memories and the ability to to have wildcat football and have something great to think about at a time when we didn't have it. But then lo and behold, not only did we get a season, we got uh, a very special season at that and here you are back uh back with us yeah and I, I i do remember talking to you guys you know first of all it was super fun right to have to be able to just connect with so many people in the community and and, and do that but i do remember and i looking back at the eight game schedule with you guys and I, I put you guys on the spot and or and i remember you guys talking about it on on the podcast and those preseason predictions and you know here we are right six and one heading into ohio state and we're going to talk about everything here but none of us had the one loss, right? I mean, I think the best case scenario, you guys were like six and two, right? And Sam was like, we're kind of like, what's the over and under on a very, like what's doable. And, and here we are, you know? And so I, I, I want to revisit that because I think, you know, especially coming off of last year, uh, you guys just kept me going because <laughs> one and eight and three and nine, I think we all knew that was an outlier, but to hear you guys methodically go through each team, lay out the course, look at our team, add John Rain, I add Peyton Ramsey, and seriously, like you guys got me through some tough times getting to this season and gave me the hope. So I appreciate it. Well, it's our pleasure. I mean, we're we we love doing this just as much as you love hearing it. So, uh, you know, and and with the, with this game, um, you know, twenty eight to ten. Obviously, the the seven point the touchdown Illinois scored at the end. Uh, Against our second string defense, I, I know they didn't want to give that uh, give that score up. You know, our defense has been, you know, really great about not giving up second half points. So I'm, I'm sure that kind of stuck in their craw a little bit. But when you take home the hat for the sixth year in a row, and now get within one game of in the all time series of getting to 500, I know Jay, you you were, you were talking a lot you know, before how much that would mean to you as far as getting over the hump. You know, getting to a point where we could take the lead in the in the lifetime series of the Northwestern Illinois rivalry. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I mentioned, uh, I've got three daughters who are musicians, and there's that song from Rent called Seasons of Love, and it's like, how do you measure a year in the life, right? Yeah. And and I do it, 
this kind of, you know, people listening to this actually won't chuckle because they probably do it too, but it's, I do an all time series, right? I remember I, I used it. I, I said in 1994, as a senior at Northwestern, we're being in the fraternity basement, we're playing Illinois for homecoming. And I, and I kind of did the math, right? And we were at the time like 11 games under, you know, 11 game deficit. And I started doing like, will I see this in my lifetime? Like, you start doing the math. I'm like, okay, if you win 12 straight, right then you but that's not going to happen so I, I always look at the all-time series as something that like is the is the ultimate barometer for kind of the northwestern brand especially considering the hole that they've dug i mean indiana is the only team of uh the original big 10 that we have a, a winning all-time series against and you know illinois would be would be the second so it's a pretty big deal for us and uh I've kind of marked that day and now that we're within one isn't that what makes college football great right because it's like we have to wait a whole year for a chance to tie it up next year. And, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, and it's a big deal for Fitz winning his 11th win, right. The most of any program. And I mean, and obviously we've dominated Illinois to the point, maybe a little too much that, that the result <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Illinois pulling the trigger and, uh, letting Lovey Smith go. It was weird when, when that news came out, it, you know, it kind of, before Illinois statement came out, the, just the way that the tweets were reading, it was like, is is Lovey stepping down? Is he retiring? And then Illinois made made their statement. It was like, oh no, he he absolutely got fired. I was it's as you were saying that, Jay, I, I couldn't help but thinking I was I was like, in Zooks, in Beckman's, in Lovey's, <laughs> in whoever's next. Uh because the yeah, I it's it stinks. I mean, we don't want we don't want to go down this road because we have so much to cover. Yeah. But I mean it's obviously like that is another thing. And, and, you know, we were kind of joking off pod that, um, you know, we can't, you, you know, you, the, it, you can't keep getting the dice roll you want every single time. Like Slav <laughs> averages says Illinois is going to pull someone competent in there eventually. But, you know, but again, maybe not. I mean, a lot of people very confidently on Twitter have, have postulated the opposite and be like, look, no, Northwestern's rolling right now. Better facilities, better leadership, everything. It's like, yeah, that's all true. Um, right. But I think one of the big things, you know, getting into this Illinois game and again, in big picture, we've got so much to cover that, you know, Illinois is where we're going to spend less time today. But I, I do think it bears note uh, mentioning that the degree to which this Illinois game played out in the way that we were kind of expecting. And I think one of the biggest things to point to on that is <clears throat> when Illinois had a solid start early on in the game, moving the ball, there were some people, you know, that were tweeting at us and stuff who were kind of pulling their hair out, being like, what the heck is going on with this defense? And we had talked, you know, at length on the pod that like, look, this team does one thing well, and that is a read option shotgun based running game. Um, and they have done it well against everybody. They did it well against Wisconsin. Um, this will be very important later on when we get to the Ohio State discussion. But Keep bear in mind, Illinois is second in the conference in rushing, and there ain't no one in this conference who doesn't know they can't hit the broad side of a barn throwing the ball and, and yet, apparently catching it either. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, especially the weather didn't help them. But I yeah. think you know there was the feeling early on that I think some people were like, "Oh no, is this weather actually going to affect Illinois? You know, work in Illinois' benefit because you know." It, the one thing they can do is run the ball and they weren't going to be able to throw anyway. Well, no, because as we were, were theorizing, we will adjust and we have 
you know, a really potential Broyles award-winning defensive coordinator who is as good as, at adjusting as anyone is. And once we adjusted, man alive, like the moment we were like, you know, mid-second quarter, you won't run anymore. Right. And that was it. That was the end of the game. Like we scored. I mean, we, we'll talk about how we shredded them on the other side of the ball. But the bottom line is they weren't scoring points from the second quarter on. That was not happening. That's seven points at the end, like Sam said. That was against the second string. Um, and, uh, I mean, the announcers, I mean, good Lord. I mean, I, I know Heisman candidate Isaiah Williams, notwithstanding. <laughs> um, but, the, but the, but I mean, like that, that was it. And, you know, that's all stuff that's going to matter going forward. But, I mean, that it's give credit. But, John, for, just yeah. for fun here for, for a second, right? And, and Sam, I'm, I'm curious because you guys are so patient. And, and if you truly were like, I, I, I mean, I'm on here because of probably the, the passion on my sleeve here factor, right? But I was dying. I mean, I, I seriously, I was stressing from Tuesday when I looked at the weather forecast to your point of, like, Illinois can run – you know, variables, fumbles, like there's just an X factor of the slop fest. And when, when Drake fumbled out of the gate, I was like, I was in Panicsville in that first quarter and they were moving the ball. I mean, I literally was in a dark place. And so if you guys were able to be, you know, and then once it turned around, I was like, okay, to your point, it's like by halftime, it was like, we'd taken their bullets, their biggest bullets, you know, they'd had a couple good drives, defense had stepped up and you guys will talk about that. But at halftime, I felt really, really good, you know, but I'll tell you that first quarter, I don't know how, how were you guys doing? Because I was dying. Well, I mean, you look at the, the starts of every, every game we played this season, like yeah. you know, the, the start against Iowa was terrible. You know, they got off to a 17 point lead, you know, the start against Michigan state, terrible. They got up to a, a big lead. We let other, t- like it, it always takes a little bit to yeah. kind of dial it in. And I, I, there's a reason why we don't give up points in the second half. And, you know, it, yeah. So it was like, okay, let, let's let's kind of get a sense of the game. How much is the weather going to be a factor? Like, how much is this wind? How much is the slop going to be a factor? Okay, they're, gonna, they're not going to be able to throw the ball at all. Got it. Cool. Adjust and focus on the run. Was I, was I, I, I was, you know, concerned... At like obviously you don't want to give up the fumble on the four yard line, and but then then they missed a field goal, so it ended up being no harm no foul. Right. Drake never saw the field again, so that that's you know a, another factor that uh, we can talk about. But I, I wasn't necessarily cons- especially the way that our offense just started clicking and like the way we were able to run the ball. You know Porter Hull. Um, even to lesser, I mean, McGowan. Yeah. I mean, even the, Ramsey. Yeah. Ramsey for sure. And like but, but, but the way all those run that happens, I, even before that happens, Sam, I mean, like you, you guys texted me cause I couldn't be on the pod last week. I was sick, but you guys texted me as, is Josh Amita Bebe the, the best receiver that we faced all year. And I said, sure he might be, but, they don't have anybody that can get him the ball. I mean, like this Illinois team was, it's not just, they couldn't, couldn't throw in a windstorm. Like we knew they were one dimensional. And so even in that first quarter when they were running the ball and, and and maybe I have this false sense of security with, with, with Illinois, especially because the worst Northwestern team in a decade beat the best Illinois team in a decade last year at the end (laughs) of the season. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. like at no point was I, worried and maybe that's um 
I don't know, I guess that feels like a privilege as a Northwestern fan because it never <laughs> happens for us. But I like like truly as that game was starting, I was not happy. I ended up paying. Um, I, I expected to be. I, I told my wife, like, oh, yeah, we'll just have the game on in the background. It'll be fine. We can wrap presents. And then, of course, I'm like focused in on it and the kids are starting to misbehave and she's looking at me like what are you doing dude uh so like it wasn't you know obviously it didn't go according to plan but i can't i can't say i ever felt worried i I guess i had one of those moments like oh is this going to be another one of these days where we're you know sweating it out at the end um but like like 2018 was like that right like it was a like it ended up being a real tight Mm -hmm. maybe seven point game at the end but um i don't know i just i never had that moment of I never had that moment like I had in Michigan State where I was like, oh, man, we're going to fight tooth and nail for Ex- everything today. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the Michigan State is the exact thing. And, Jay, I'm so glad you asked this question because the the truth be told is we – and I mean we went at this at length. We don't need to revisit it. But this is a team that not only this season but historically has not worn the mantle of overwhelming favorite comfortably. Now you, Jay, made a great point that that does not apply to the Illinois series. But in a in and you made that point on Twitter very effectively. But in general, we're talking about all those moments, right? The big moments, the you know, the 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 week following the Michigan game in 2000, you know, the Miami of Ohio, et cetera, et cetera. This is a team that as the nation's darling, overwhelming favorite, you guys are the juggernaut, you're supposed to roll, etc., have had historical problems with that. No one does disrespected better than Northwestern does. <laughs> and, well said. and my feeling since last Wednesday, the moment Ohio State, it was announced, was getting four fancy free extra days to prep for the Big Ten Championship – since then, my mindset, and do not think, Northwestern Nation, it ain't the mindset in that locker room is, we are going to walk into the Ohio State game and beat them with Illinois' corpse. That has been the mentality. <laughs> this whole idea of we will overlook Illinois, no, we're going to break them in half and go through them to Ohio State. I think that's the mentality. And you factor in, it's Illinois. It's not like this team needs much more. So my feeling, to Scuzz's point, it never wavered because I was like, this team is full of hate and vengeance right now. Mm-hmm. And Illinois might get lucky early. But I was like in our in our head, it was so clear even early on when they were having success running the ball that they couldn't throw at all. And, you know, it wasn't even halftime. We're making jokes online about like no one like there's not an Illinois quarterback that's going to so much as look at Greg Newsom today. And then that <laughs> totally happened. I mean, he could have had a lawn chair out there like there was nothing for him to do. <laughs> um, and the and I think but again, like like to give credit where credit is due. Illinois could run the ball and they had success early. And then we were just like, no, no more of this. Like you throw it, then you throw it, hit a guy, hit, have one receiver catch one pass and we will respect your passing game. And then after that, we just throttled them. Um, and again, and, and again, Scuzz touched on it briefly, but I mean, I, I, I know he crunched some advanced stats on it, but on the flip side, like we were also pretty confident we'd be able to run the ball and we didn't know that poor Drake was going to fumble and I felt so bad for him because I didn't know because I mean the weather was so garbage and yes I get it I get having a uniform you fumble you sit policy understand it 
but it was garbage and he was going to eat for a buck 50 in this mm-hmm. game and yeah. and he ended up with it's a great point and and i think but i mean again like that's the point that we were just dominating up front and i know like scuds like you know you crunched some advanced stats on this but i mean like we 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 rolled on the ground yeah we can get into that now if, if you want i mean what, basically as we were watching this i couldn't help so i had two thoughts kind of simultaneously running through my head one, which was the, the thought that the rest of NU Nation was thinking is like, wow, is, is Cam Porter for real? Is our running game like fixed? Like, like, w- like, what does this mean for next week against Ohio State? Um, and, 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 I'll, and I'll say part of what got me really excited there is Cam Porter just looked to me like he reminded me, reminded me most of Tyrell Sutton in the mm-hmm. way he ran in uh, his, his ability to kind of ping pong off defenders. Um, he had you know, not breakaway speed. You saw him get tracked down from behind a couple times, but uh, enough speed to get the outside, get to the outside fast enough, you know, moves and wiggle to make guys miss and enough strength to, to punch through contact contact. And to me, that combination of skills is, is a really important factor for what we want in a running back in this offense. Um, but I also had in the back of my mind that last year against Illinois, Coco Zima came out of nowhere to run for 123 <laughs> yards. Um, and so I did I did some digging. What's interesting, what's most interesting about Coco Zima, it makes, I think, it very hard to compare uh, Cam's day against Coco as, as even though both of them had that kind of revelatory, like, whoa, where did this come from element to them, is that Azima only carried the ball seven times. And you you forget that wow. his role in that game was that little. Um, by contrast, Andrew Marty carried the ball 30 times. And we <laughs> joked during the game last year that, you know, Mick McCall knew he was getting fired and he was taking Andrew Marty's dead body with him, right? <laughs> right. Um, but so so I went through, I, I took kind of two different, um, I, basically, I basically tried to calculate uh, DVOA, which is what the football outsiders use to assess, um, uh, basically to compare uh, performance they look at down and distance and they say, all right, on first down, um, on first and 10, if you get five yards or more, like that's a successful play. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get less than five yards, that is an unsuccessful play, basically binary ones and zeros. Right. And then you can average that for all the plays that a player has or a team has, or a certain situation has. Uh, and when I, when I did that, so Azima definitely has the best DVOA rating across all the ball carriers from last year against Illinois and this year against Illinois, but right there behind him is Cam Porter. And so even though there were a lot of times where Cam got, you know, stopped for a three yard run or a one yard run, he had enough conversions in critical spots or enough times where he was getting at least half the yardage or more on first and second down. And then a, a first down conversion on third or fourth down that, you know, his DVOA is, is, is like 625. Azima's was around 714. Again, I think it's hard to compare because Azima had so few carries. If you compare it to Drake, who had 23 carries against Illinois last year for 87 yards, not a bad day by any standards, right? But his DVOA was like under 500. With with 625, uh, Cam, Cam clocks in at, like, that's an efficient running back who is, um, you know, getting the yards that you need to get in the situations that he's running the ball, especially, I mean, the other thing to think about with Azima is with only seven carries. And one of them was, was a 62 yard run that he ripped off. He's, he's not running in 
really obvious running situations where Cam Porter is taking wildcat snaps um, <laughs> in very, very obvious, you know, straight ahead running type situations. I mean, those are the types of plays where it's short yardage, short down in distance, and you're and you're only expecting to get two or three, two or three yards. Um, briefly, the other the other mechanism I employed uh, last night, I was able to find and download a a bunch of um, EPA or expected points added data, which is really really exciting. This is essentially how everyone is measuring. Uh, things in the NFL right now is with EPA. And the idea is basically if it's first and 10 from the 25 yard line, um, there's an expected points that are going to get scored based on the average play uh, that happens from mm-hmm. first and 10 from the 25 across all you know plays in the NFL. And then you can look at what a player actually did on that play, subtract the two numbers and get kind of a, a, a Delta. And once again, um, Koko Azima clocks in with the highest EPA across all of our running backs at, at almost almost six um, against Illinois last year. Cam Porter not far behind at four point six. Uh, nobody else is even close. Peyton Ramsey with two point eight was the closest one after that in in this game this year. So I think like what stands out to me is that Porter in these situations where he was clearly going to be the ball carrier or most likely going to be the ball carrier still presented enough options, whether it was speed to get outside, strength to go between the tackles, or enough juke and, you know, the the body control to fall forward, much in the way that we loved about Justin Jackson. Like, I think this is a skill set that makes our running game at least more effective, albeit I'm not ready to say it's quote-unquote fixed. Um, mm. I also don't think, and maybe this is a good transition point, but I don't think that the running game is what's going to win us the Big Ten Championship next week. So, mm. well, so... Here's here's two things, though, because I absolutely want to go there in a second. And that's like one thing. So the, two points that I would tack right onto that. Right. Um, one would be this idea that, you know, if any grousing. Right. That it's like, well, if everything Scuzz is saying is about, you know, about the advanced metrics with Porter combined with the eye test on Porter in this game has you being like, where was Porter earlier in the season? Well, first of all. It's not like he wasn't playing earlier in the season. He has played some. There is a defined running back depth chart. It I we really believe that the water is really muddied here in that Isaiah Bowser, who carried our running game on his back to the Big Ten championship game two years ago, right? Um, is really banged up and is trying to fight through it. And I think that complicates things a lot because you want to play that guy and he wants to play. And, you know, and we've we talked in, you know, about the way he's limited over the past couple of weeks on the pod. You're all listening. You all heard it. OK, but it's like I'd spend less time thinking about that and more time thinking about the fact that not only does Cam Porter look like this, he's totally fresh right now. Um, and you're bringing that guy fresh into the uh, Big Ten championship game. And I think one of the biggest things that hamstrings us right now is just that we've talked about and why it's so good to get an Anthony Tyson next year is depth. And we all running backs, you know, our injuries tend to kill us at running back. And now we're in a position where we've got a fresh, ready-to-go Cam Porter for that game and how big of a deal that's going to be. That's the first thing. The second thing, and, and here's the pivot, you know, and, we'll, you know, we're going to pivot here and Scuzz just kind of alluded to it. But in the offseason, we hammered home the fact, right, that there was no defense in the Big Ten more misunderstood than Minnesota's defense. During the season, 
there's no defense more misunderstood than Ohio State's defense. And there is this narrative right now that Ohio State can't be run on. And that is a flawed and really misleading narrative. Well, and but before we're, we, we're going to get into that. Yeah, before we get into Ohio State, I just you know want to close the book on on Illinois. Uh, just briefly wanted to to talk about you know with Lovey Smith getting fired, which you know I, I think all of Northwestern Nation is like, ah, oh, geez, because you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what. Gus Malzahn's name is the first to jump to everyone's mind, but I heard a lot of people think maybe Jeff Munkin from uh, Army because uh, he's from Illinois. Um, you know, that could be a, a possibility. Jay, do you have any thoughts on where Illinois might go? <laughs> There's where they might go and where I want them to go. Sure, like, I'm hoping Absolutely. they do the. You know, can they do the Tim Beckman roll the dice on the up and coming Mac coach? Right, like okay, let's go Buffalo. Right. You know, I don't have any insights particular on, on where they go. I, I will say this, right? Like, we're all biased by our own upbringings and environments. And it's like, I feel like Illinois, and I'm sure I'm going to tick a lot of people off. I feel like Illinois fans, and is Illinois is one of those programs that when you're in the inside, it's the, the people are like, why would you not come here? It's a great job. And you look at the outside looking in right now at that program and, you know, <laughs> on a number of different fronts, it's not that great of a job from my perspective in the, in the pantheon of like power five. Right. It's like, and so to me, I think it, it, it's interesting, right. Always watching kind of from the outside, looking in a fan base and what their realistic expectations are. And then, you know, the, the economics and, and the business side of it and how that all plays out. Right. Are they going to go with a proven Gus Malzahn? Are they going to go with the, are they going to try another spin at the dice and go, go the up and coming route or the coordinator route, right? Like Jim Leonard at, at Wisconsin or, you know, his name's been bantied about. So, I mean, I have no clue. I just, you know, <laughs> John, you talked about this earlier. It's like at some point, the more turnover, statistically the more odds there are <laughs> somebody might stick and as a northwestern fan that's like i was like most stunned because i thought lovey had done just enough and with covid to get that extra year and be like okay great like let's let's keep status quo and one winning you know season in a decade plus that's what we want at illinois i think well, i mean well, i was just going to say that real quick that I think one other big thing, too, is I truly believe the program's reached a point right now where if a kid has the grades to go to Northwestern, he's from the state of Illinois, that's the school that he's going to pick. Yeah. I don't think I don't feel like that's reinventing the wheel to say that right now. And that puts Illinois kind of right back where they are. I mean, competing with all the other big boys surrounding them in the Big Ten for the best in-state players who don't get Northwestern offers. And I don't see like what coach is going to come in and change that right now, especially with facilities, especially with everything else. I, Sorry. I, the, no, you're all good. The, the business side that you mentioned, Jay, is, is what jumps out to me. Cause I, I, I was thinking, I was doing the calculus in my head a couple months ago, thinking like they can't fire Lovey cause he's still got at least a couple million in buyout. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, like, I know they renegotiated his contract, what, three, two, two years ago. Right. He's, yeah. he's still had a couple years on there. I know the buyout is less than it was, but um, like the he needs to, he needed to get Kirk Ferentz's agent 
<laughs> yeah, right. That guy's that guy's made for another five years probably. Um, but I mean, this the state of Illinois is not in good shape. The university no. didn't have a president or an AD or a chancellor or whatever a couple of years ago. I mean, they've been in serious financial trouble for a long time, and it is it like it's it's unless somebody's like really desperate up and coming or for an opportunity to like I, I think about Les Miles going to Kansas, which was a really weird situation for all parties involved and hasn't really worked out for the Jayhawks, I might add. But it feels like that's the sort of like Hail Mary that that Illinois is going to be trying here that, oh, by the way, they've tried twice already in their last three coaches. You know, I I'll, I'll, I know we want to get to the Ohio State game. I'll add this. I, I kind of feel, look, this is a Northwestern podcast. How good is it? It's like almost hypocritical in my surprise because it's like, <laughs> wait a second. We beat them six years in a row, and that may have actually got him fired, right? Like at some point, it's it's not a coincidence that the day after we win our sixth, right, and and you have a player on the team calling Northwestern little brother, and just the way they went about it. I mean, it's like, to your point, it's like, I mean, Shannon Ryan today in the in the Chicago Tribune, Shannon Ryan did a piece on like just the state of Illinois, right? And this is before loving a fire. It's just kind of like painting the picture and how stark the contrast is between Northwestern and Illinois, John, to your points. And then in the same, you know, newspaper, there was a great article by Paul Sullivan just kind of talking about, you know, the reality of what we're going to talk about, Northwestern brand. And like, this is a legit program, right? And so the contrast even in a slop fest in the big picture narrative, it, it couldn't be more clear where the two programs are right now. So let's talk about the Big Ten championship game. Um, you know, Hua. Yeah. Let's do it. I, I know we had this conversation two years ago uh, going into Ohio State. Um, before we before we talk about the game, because uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about you know Ohio State being uh, the the big rules of the Big Ten being changed to allow Ohio State to come in. I'm tired of that conversation. You know, Ohio State is clearly the best team in the East. They beat they beat Indiana. Um, you know, if, if people are like hemming and hawing and clutching their pearls over a rule that was made three months ago uh, in completely uncertain times and, and it's being changed because now we've seen what's going on, I, I have no time for that. Ohio State belongs in this game. There's no question. That being said... We are going in there with zero respect at all. The only yes. quibble I have with what you said, Sam, is, is I wish Ohio State didn't have a bye last week. Sure. Yes. No, for sure. I, I wish they yeah, had to so, play somebody. Um, yes. I, at the same time, like, you know, what if, if if we play this game and the margin is such that I feel like that may have made a difference <laughs> dramatically, like then, then, you know, then we'll see what happens. But I, I think the respect thing is probably a bigger deal at this stage because Northwestern is going to be approaching this. I don't know. It feels like with a different, a different air from, from two years ago, it, it, it feels like nobody thinks we belong there. Whereas and, and, two years oh, ago, and I, some people came out, some people came out and said, you know, maybe Northwestern doesn't belong there. Maybe Ohio, maybe Iowa is the best team in the West. Yeah. Uh, not going to mention any names. Tom Fornelli, but I, but uh, <laughs> the, but, well, can I jump in here for a second, yeah, John? Please. Just, just uh, I'll play the role of context guy because I went and looked this up. You know, you guys bring your A game. I have to do my homework when I come on here. But this whole Northwestern versus Ohio State narrative, right? Like everyone listening knows the, the the extremes there, and everyone, all Northwestern fans know we've won one time 
right? Since since seventy two, the Noah Heron game. But I went and I was like, okay, you know what? Because I had some Northwestern fans being like, we got to win the big one. It's like no one's been beating Ohio State. So yeah. trivia question: How many times this century, right? So including two thousand, has Michigan beat Ohio State? Yeah. Not, Take a guess. Answer, three? three. Less than five, two or three. Yeah. 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 Three, three. Three and seventeen. Wow. Okay, let's go down the list. How about Indiana? Right, the team, the team that somehow is escaping their dark ages brand narrative and like resting <laughs> at number six in the CFP. Okay, Zero. they're two fifty six and one over the last fifty nine years. Uh, we we keep going. Minnesota yeah. one and twenty eight since the early eighties. Iowa three and fifteen since the late eighties. Nebraska one and eight all time. Like, and and this is the part that pisses us off as fans. It's like really, like okay. Well, well, Let, wait, wait, let's go with your all-time record. Let's go with the. Let's go in your lifetime how you've done. Fan chirping on twi- Twitter, mm-hmm. right? It's like it's just, it's well, tired. They're well, a really good program. They well, they beat everybody. They've lost four games in five years in the regular season. It's like, okay, got it. They're good. In well, I don't know. Just well that. Crazy. Well, that's the thing too. And because and to Sam's point, like on one hand, look, we get it. Like they eye test, they pass it. Right. Um, Justin Fields, et cetera. We're going to go deep on that. Um, the they passed the eye test, but you can't not factor a lot of this history that you're talking in the history in the laundry. And that's a credit to Ohio State's program. There's no doubt about that cumulatively. But the, the, I mean, we'll get into this in a couple specific ways. But on one hand, you you know, so first of all, the whole notion of, as Scuzz said, the five games, putting them in, uh, fine, that's one thing. But the way it was done and the idea that, right, that like the fact that you create an unlevel playing field in the lead up to the Big Ten championship game, just being an afterthought was, I think, what uh, pushed most of Northwestern's fan base and I think really the, the, um, the team, I'm sure, you know, across the Rubicon. Because I think that was the moment where any fear a Northwestern fan had about Ohio State melted away. Because at that point, you were just like, it's just rage from that point on. And you're saying, oh, we want them now. If this is a situation where you're going to create this unlevel playing field, then no, we're not scared. Because what if we win? Because now it'll be we're taking your trophy. And it was preordained, and now we're taking it and we're smashing it. And there's no better mentality. And we already talked about that, that this team, you know, Northwestern football wears a grieved, unrespected, you know, um, <laughs> just, you know, like um, also ran, right, better than any other team. They use that as rocket fuel. So I think that's the first thing. But the other thing, on one hand, have they passed the eye test? Well, Fields has sure as hell passed the eye test. There's no doubt about that. But if you can on one hand say that this team, five wins or not, deserves to get in, and on the other hand, you can say that if there is ever a team that needed to have five more games to kick the tires on, it's this Ohio State team. There is this narrative that Ohio State is just great on defense and that they can do anything they want on offense. Listen to this. Ohio State has played to this point in the Big Ten 
one of the top five scoring defenses in the Big Ten. One of the top five total defenses in the Big Ten. One of the top five scoring offenses in the Big Ten. Buckle up for this one. None of the top seven total offenses in the conference. They haven't played a top half offense in the conference. One of the top seven rush offenses in the country. And one, a a conference, and one of the top five pass offenses in the conference. Okay, this is a team that we that there's this narrative where, to your point, Jay, we know all we don't know quite a lot about this team. And everyone is more than happy to fill all the gaps in that DNA with, well, they're Ohio State. And it's like, no, there's a lot more to it than that. And there's a lot of unknown about this team. And we get to carry all that ammunition into the game next week. Yeah, it's well said. I mean, I think, um, look, you know, if you're objective, which we're not, and you're stepping out, <laughs> you, step, you step from the outside here, right? Like, here, here's the practical side of me, right? And, and Scuzz, you just went there. Illinois had a truckload of defensive players who didn't play, right? And so, yes, and, and I think it's wise for Northwestern fans to be cautiously optimistic about Cam Porter. But, you know, let's face it, that was an O-line you know, dominating performance against the depleted Illinois defense to begin with. Right. So before we go down the road and you guys touched on this, well, it's like, here's my, a couple of key takeaways, right? Like, you know, the other narrative that's out there, that's already out there is that, Oh, you know, we're playing for the second time. Uh, By the way, ESPN had a graphic. Talk about getting ESPN had a graphic yesterday. I was like, Northwestern gets to the Big Ten Championship for the first time. I was like, are you kidding me? In their studio show. I was like, are you kidding Lord, Wow. I quick, I literally like my buddies who, who work there. We texted and like they they quickly uh, corrected it because the Northwestern ESPNers jumped on it. But here's the thing: the narrative out there. Oh, Ohio State played Northwestern two years ago and and you know rolled them. Like that's out there right now because people look at the final score and obviously everyone listening to this podcast knows that's the furthest thing from the truth, right? And I think the interesting thing to kind of John, I, I went back and I watched. Um, to your point, John, I went back and watched the 2018 extended highlights today in advance of this, and, and a couple things stood out, right? We all know, um, I mean, we took it to them in the, in the second half, in that third quarter, right, and made yep. it a game. Um, the difference in that game was twofold. Number one was turnovers. We had three of them, two of them deep in our own territory, right? Um, interceptions and a fumble and a, you know, some crazy bounces. But really the difference in the game was Ohio State made big plays over the top. You watch Haskins just throwing right over our secondary. And, and the difference in our secondary today versus then, it, right to your point, is, is, is lights out. I mean, I would say going to this game, you guys are going to talk about it. it. We're not giving away trade secrets here. Every team has probed the interior of our D-line on the run game. And to your point, you guys have said it well. I think what's been remarkable in, 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 in my take in this is hang around in the first half, right? And, and to your point, I think it's eminently doable. This is, again, Justin Fields absolutely can bust plays, and it, he's a magician, right? He's a Heisman candidate, just like, <laughs> just like the Heisman candidates we played two years ago. However, I think the, the two things for me, I think— one, um, my concern is the interior, you know, we're thin at interior D-line. Teams have been probing there. 
week after week after week. And it's almost like our guys, if they can just get a hat, the linebackers fill and step up. It takes them a little while to get, to do that. And, and I think that's part of us. That's the trend I see. The second thing, if I'm Ryan Day and I'm watching that game, someone tweeted, what do you think Ohio State players are thinking when they're watching this right now? And I tweeted, we're going to beat them by 50 because I think that's the mentality, the laundry, right? And I, I, I kind of like that. I, I'm pretty certain that they're not like they're not walking around intimidated this week at Ohio State. I do think, and I'm curious to get your take, one of the things that was so remarkably done well in the Illinois game that just kind of illustrated – I, I think a little bit of some of the things that we're forced to do that have been kept in the bag are linemen's ability to get to the edge and create blocking on the, between the linemen and the wide receivers on the edge. Like if I'm Ryan day, I'm watching that. I'm like, huh? Holy cow. Like, and, and, and let's, th- th- my last piece here is when was the last time Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning, Peyton Ramsey, my Indianapolis mind is just merging together here. When, when was the last time Peyton Ramsey had a controlled, weathered environment to actually like use the passing game? I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we've had like six weeks of 25 you know, mile an hour wins. And so it, there's a lot of interesting dynamics going on. I can't wait for this game. I mean, th- that, that's what happens when you play in like end of November and December. Like we knew it was yeah. going to be bad weather. And Funny like the fact that, that, fact that the championship game is in Indianapolis is going to be awesome. Yeah. Well, and let's let's pull on that Peyton Ramsey thread because I was looking at the fact that Peyton Ramsey has played Ohio State twice before in his career. Um, last year against you know Chase Young in that really phenomenal Ohio State defense, he was pretty pedestrian. 100, 162 yards, the fifty seven percent completion, and uh, and one pick, not great, right? Mm-hmm. You go back two years though against that that twenty eighteen team. Peyton Ramsey threw for 322 yards and three TDs against Ohio State. And that team is a lot like this team. And people don't understand that. Well, and and for for me, and and I think I want to hit on something, Jay, that you just touched on with the running game, but but the thing that the thing that I've been thinking for three weeks now, anticipating that this game was going to happen, if you look at what IU did, IU didn't run the ball at all against Ohio State. Now, part of that is because they got down early, but Stevie Scott had seven carries for six yards against Ohio State. Total, Hmm. their team had 16 rushes for minus one yard against Ohio State. And Michael Penix Jr. threw for 491 yards. They attacked downfield, and it doesn't have to be 50-yard bombs. Uh, uh, Kevin Tran, formerly of Inside NU, was talking about this online today. It doesn't need to be 50-yard bombs. It can be 20-yard slants. Think about what Purdue did to Ohio State in 2018. I think... we just need to be willing to attack Ohio State in that mode um, and not go into it with the Michigan State game plan of let's try to run. I mean, and, and John, your your point is well taken that well, that Ohio State has not been tested on the ground. And to my eye, like I think we saw a hell of a lot more of the pulling guard, pulling center, edge rushing that you were just talking about, Jay, with wide like like getting the lineman out into space. We saw way more of that against Illinois than we had in the previous weeks. And I think a lot of it has to do with the speed that uh, Cam Porter exhibits to the outside and his ability to not only get out there with those blockers quickly, but then make people miss and run through a couple contacts so that those, those are not, you know, tackles at the, as a, for a one yard gain, like we've seen with, 
you know, McGowan and Drake and, and Bowser in, in prior weeks and that he was ripping off much bigger runs to the outside. And that seems like a place that you can attack Ohio State. Well, so and let's let's dive deep on this, too. Right. Because it's like I you know, Scuzz is going to give you all you will need and more about the Ohio State offense. So let's take a look at this Ohio State defense. I was going back and looking at our summer preview of this team, and it's kind of shocking how much we pegged Ohio State's defense for what it was going to be. Great on the defensive line. They are awesome on the defensive line. That's that's where their entire bread is buttered defensively, is on the D-line. Um, we, we predicted that Baron Browning would come in and immediately become the best linebacker in their linebacker core because Tuff Borland and Pete Werner are average Big Ten players. That's exactly what happened. Um, Baron Browning is their best linebacker by far, and then a drop-off, and then Borland and Werner. If you don't think that's true, it's laundry. Like Werner and Borland wear Ohio State jerseys. That's why they're regarded the way they are. Browning is the bell cow of the linebacker core. Their bread is buttered on the defensive line. We hammered home in the summer that everyone was going to be talking about Chase Young leaving and that the real discussion needed to entirely revolve around the secondary. Because in addition to losing their three best defensive backs, Ohio State was losing one of their very best coaches, their secondary coach, who's now the head coach at Boston College. It was a massive overhaul for a team that, to both Scuzz and Jay's point, if you you only have to go back to 2018 to remember that this is a team perennially, uh, perennially loaded with five-star talent in the secondary who just forget to cover some seasons. <laughs> and this is one of those seasons. Folks, here's the list of quarterbacks that Ohio State has played this year, right? Uh, Penix, we've talked about. Um, uh, you've got Sean Clifford is on this list. Rocky Lombardi is on this list. Um Either Clifford of, was pretty decent against them, too. Well, I mean, that's three the thing, TDs, but, one pick, 280 yards. Right. Noah Vidral and both Taylor Martinez with a small bit of Luke McCaffrey. That murderer's row of quarterbacks has Ohio State easily the worst pass defense in the Big Ten. Uh, they've played one good quarterback and he annihilated them for 491 pass yards. Um, they can't cover. It's a group of really talented guys with no experience. There's one experienced guy, Sean Wade, who the announcers will have you believe is like Charles Woodson reincarnate. And Sean Wade does two <laughs> things. Get interceptions and get blown with crazy blown coverage. Um, he is the ultimate trick-or-treat guy. The rest of their defense is just trick in the secondary. It's all about their pass rush. Yeah. And they do it with the front four. They have, I think, something like 11 guys on this defense who have at least a half a sack in five games. Of those guys, nine are defensive linemen. They just have a super deep, awesome defensive line rotation. Zach Harrison, former big Northwestern recruit target, right? He is kind of the anchor at end, but they're really deep. They don't bring heat. 
They don't bring pressure. They're trying to get to you with four, and they're good at it. But this notion that you can't do anything, like to Scuzz's point, you don't have to throw deep against this team. Dudes are open. RCB has like 15 more starts. Him and Lees combined have 30 more starts than any guy in the Ohio State secondary right now. Like it's talk about battle tested. Those guys are green and are playing like it. Um, and it's all like if your question is, well, like, how can we get the passing game to work? Either you give up sacks or you don't give up sacks. Otherwise, well, Ramsey's going to find open guys. They can't cover. Yeah, that's well, the well, John. That, you just that's the key to the game. Right. I mean, I think this could be one of the more interesting feast or famine because I, I listen to you and I get so jacked up because I'm like, we're going to win by 20. When I listen to John, I love listening to John. He, he's like the most, <laughs> you know, hope inspiring guy. This, this like, week you're getting rage, John. Too, and, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm not to be Debbie Downer, but like I, I watched, you know, that front just annihilate the same Michigan State team that that, you know, <laughs> we, we couldn't get much going against. Right. Pressure wise. I right? couldn't contain. And so, you know, I, I think to your point, um, our offensive line is strength. Uh, it's strength on strength there. And it's, it's, you can see it's going to be, don't get behind the chains on first down. Don't get second. Like, don't take a sack. Like, and there will be pressure in, I'm guessing the over under on those Peyton Ramsey, you know, chuck the ball at somebody's back foot passes that he's become very adept at. Like we might have 10 of those in the game and it might be okay because I think this is a team that as evidenced by, you know, ironically or coincidentally, Peyton Ramsey's former team, Indiana, it's like, Third and ten against Ohio State in years past, we'd be like, "Oh God, you might as well get the punting unit out." Third and ten here, it's going to be like I think our statistics will probably hold up, being the third down efficiency team that we are. We're we are going to get shots. It's like, how can we do enough to, you know, stem off a really talented front and and kind of man on you know hat on hat and man on man. Well, that that's that that sack stats the key. Like that Indiana game, if we use that as as the canary in the coal mine, right? Um, Indiana only gave up two sacks in that game. Only only four TFLs. Some of that TFL number is the fact they just didn't even bother trying to run. Some of that sack number is also probably how escapable a Penix Jr. is. You know, Ramsey's not quite as as mobile, but um, he's pretty good at avoiding sacks. And and if it is it if, if it is just the throw it throw it at the feet <laughs> maneuver you were talking about, Jay, like that will work. But that's 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 to me a critical indicator. Uh, for for our opportunity in this game. So one one question I have, and this is kind of uh, an elephant in the room that we haven't discussed, is the fact that they've had COVID issues of their own. And, you know, they went to Michigan State missing, like, most of their offensive line. Yeah, that was two weeks ago. and But we just, we don't know, like, how healthy are they, really? Well, so we'll... You know, you provide a, an awesome pivot for Scuzz to go in a second because, like, there's one and only one reason why they could start an entire cluster on offensive line against Michigan State and still come out just fine. And it's because of this god that they have, you know, catching catching that random spread of shotgun snaps. But one final bow that I wanted to put on the defensive side of the ball um, for all you wondering, like, OK, so like, what does all this mean? It's almost spooky to look at the five teams that Ohio State has played defensively and then look at how many points they scored against Ohio State and then how many points those teams have averaged 
the entire season because it's within five points for every one of these teams. And sometimes teams underperform like a Michigan State. Michigan State only scored 12 against Ohio State. They only scored 18 on the season, though. So it's well within the spread. Same with Nebraska. And then Indiana overperformed by five points. But it's the same. Like uh, Rutgers scored 27 points a game. That's basically what they scored against Ohio State. Penn State scores 27 points a game. That's what they scored against Ohio State. So you're looking and you're like, well, Northwestern scores 25 points a game. So that would tell you that Northwestern's going to end up in the 25-point range. Well, if you're looking for scenarios where Northwestern overperforms and does what they need to win, and we do can do what Indiana did and overperform and score 30 points in this game, that's not a huge outside of the statistical region, right? And it's like where you're like, okay, but like that's easier said than done. Yeah, but we're mapping out scenarios where Northwestern performs what for the rest of the country would be a titanic upset. And it's not too hard to start finding these paths. So it's like, if you're asking, can Northwestern score 30 points in this game? Yeah, they can. There are pathways to do that. Um, and it doesn't require overperforming too much of, of the way everyone else has performed against Ohio State this season. But with all that said, I mean, again, it's like they have a great defensive line. Ultimately, they're winning balls because of what games because of how their bread's buttered on the other side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point, right? Like statistically from a championship perspective, it shouldn't be surprising. Ohio State's the number one scoring offense in the Big Ten by a wide margin, right? They've got 52, 38, 49, 42, and 52 in their five wins, right? They put up points. Northwestern is the number two scoring defense in the country, right? Number one in the Big Ten. It's like, it's just an interesting matchup. And to your point, though, I mean, I think the part, and maybe this is where you're going, Scuzz, it's like, the part where this all falls apart from a Northwestern fan perspective is just Justin Fields. There, there was a uh, one play in the Michigan State game, to your point, when he was like catch, I think it was like a first and goal or second and goal where, you know, seventh consecutive terrible snap or whatever it was. And he, he just, it was like a 30-yard lateral run for a touchdown on a, a, you know, first and goal from the two where he evaded like five Michigan State defenders. It looked like a, like a, like a video game where the guy had never picked up the joystick on the other side before. And I, I looked at that and you're like, oh, this is Northwestern's nightmare. It's everyone's nightmare. It's Justin Fields, but particularly Northwestern. It's like that slippery, it's that slippery factor of just a guy who can create when all things go to hell. Because we'll get pressure, we'll get in them, but can we can we turn those into negative yardage plays? And there's no one better in the entire country of turning negative into positive than Justin Fields. He is so hard to tackle. I, like if there's one takeaway from the Indiana game, it was it was at, and John, I think you've said this to to us a couple of times, probably over text or whatnot, but like he he threw a couple of just horrific interceptions in that game. And Indiana did a fantastic job of bracketing the amazing wide receiver wide receivers at Ohio State, and getting some pressure some pressure on Fields. They just couldn't bring him down, and he would he would kind of get outside and and run a little bit. He ran for seventy eight yards in that game and one touchdown. He ran for one hundred and four against Michigan State. Outside of that, he really hasn't been much of a running threat this year. He had fifty against Nebraska. Kind of didn't bother trying to run against Rutgers and Penn State. So I think like he's the type of guy that he's happy to sit back in the pocket and throw. But when stuff starts to go sideways, he is good enough. He can do it himself. And that's the most scary thing for Northwestern uh, f- facing 
him next because he's he's big he's hard to bring down um we've had our struggles with big qbs in in the past and he's a true dual threat if you look if you kind of gross up his his passing stats for what a what a roughly full season would be you're talking 40 touchdowns I think close to 4,000 yards. His completion percent this year has been 78%. Wow. With a full season oh that God. probably drops off a little bit, but it's a right. it's a it's definitely an increase from the 67 he put up last year. And then you're talking about 650 rushing yards and another 10 rushing touchdowns on top of all that. Like the dude is just awesome and like for me, the picture of an upset like I like I I guess I guess you give him some space to run and hope that you can contain him and maybe get a fumble or a bad, a bad throw or like similar to the way that we give cushion on wide receivers that we can't cover in the past years and let teams, you know, get down inside the red zone and then slow them down. Like maybe that's the formula for fields and it's a little different because it's, it's him with his legs as opposed to him with his arm as much. I, I don't know, but he, he can't have an excellent game and us expect to win. I just like our defense has to disrupt him dramatically do, for us do, to be able to pull this off. Do you think we put a spy on him? I hope, I hope we put a spy on him. I don't know. It's, I don't, I don't know how you can stop him without putting a spy on him. Is well, that to, fair? well, to, to Scuzz's point though, I, I think Scuzz made a great point earlier that um, he, he doesn't run to to run the ball i mean he does do that but he runs to buy time in the pocket and that was what he was doing against um indiana it 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 does you know with the with the benefit of 2020 hindsight and a little distance it is worth noting that i mean give credit where credit is due to indiana's defense um he threw three interceptions against them they're one of the best intercepting teams in the entire country um, they're like top three in the country at this and the top five turnover margin in the country. Like they're excellent at this game plan that only bears mentioning because, again, this is a team that has not had to play Wisconsin, Iowa or Northwestern on defense this year. The lords of the conference defensively um, and really their shining performance defensively by I mean, offensively by far is in that Penn State game. Where and, and mainly, I think that reveals the true character of this Ohio State offense. There is this view that Ohio State can just run all day. They're first in the conference in rushing. They've played garbage run defenses this year. Um, it is they've just played most of the worst run defenses in the conference against Penn State. They had 208 yards, but they averaged below five yards a carry. Master T was their leading rusher. He rushed for 110 yards. Ohio State's plan all along is, I think, when they play one of these elite run defenses, the top three they haven't played, they're going to plan on throwing to beat the band. And against Penn State, they had a ton of success doing that. But that's the thing. is Fields is just so slippery. I mean, Jay, you've talked about the 2018 game a couple of times um, and how, you know, even Dwayne Haskins was able to, to get outside the pocket and cause us real problems. And Fields is just awesome at that. Um but I do truly believe that one of the flip sides is um, there's there's this view that he's just going to be able to have open guys to throw the ball to. And that is just disrespecting this ungodly Northwestern coverage unit. Well, um, he, he did have that in or Haskins, I should say, had that in 2018. But it's important to note, like, ironically, 
Cam Ruiz status notwithstanding, like we might have the, st- the same starting corners in this game that we had mm-hmm. in 2018 because Montre Hardage didn't play. He was injured. He, he did not play in the Big Ten Championship. And so Cam Ruiz and Greg Newsom were your starting cornerbacks in 2018. And uh, well, uh, in, in, can we go there for a second? Yeah. Because yeah. if you talk to uh, you talk to the former players like I do, um, a, a fair enough occasion, because we always have these as fans, these kind of theories. And, you know, I, I tend to test them, you know, and one <laughs> of them is one of them is, OK, what kind of difference does it make? Um, having played two years ago with meant to your point, Eric, of so many players who played in that game, not just were there, but played in that game in 2018. Now, here we are two years later going back and they're like night and day, right? Night and yeah. day. Like you've taken all the variable, you've taken the awe factor out. Now, now there's no crowd, right? Like, like it's a, the, let's face it. We, it was happy to be there in 2018. And yep. this time I genuinely feel that the, players and coaches more so than the fans but even the fans are kind of like okay that was nice let's go win this thing right like there's that attitude of like legit mind change and and i think it i think those things matter i also think you know one other point and it's interesting um you know i I invite you to go back and look at that 20 you look at the eye test that 2018 ohio state team i i think beats this team uh, this Ohio State team and the scrimmage against one another pretty pretty handily. Um, there was a play, the very first, uh, the very first touchdown of the game, I think it was. And I'll remember it was Dwayne Haskins. He rolls out, and Gaziano gets like an arm on his leg, right? Like he's avoiding the sack. He scrambles. He throws. I don't. I don't know who it was. Maybe it was Patty Fisher. I mean, quite literally, the ball goes just over the tip of his mm, hand. I remember that. Touch. Yeah. I was makes sitting in that. I was sitting in that end zone. Yep. Right. Like there were like three things. It was like near sack, near tip, near pick, touchdown, Ohio State. And I felt like that was like a metaphor for where we were as a program. Like just within the grab. Like okay, we're now getting to the upper tier, and now we're big boy. Right. And and I feel like. This is that moment, right? 2019 notwithstanding, like I've spent the better part of this year kind of banging the drum of 2019's the outlier, having to try to use statistics to no avail to try to prove to other programs that like Northwestern is an upper, you can, you can try to refute it. It's an upper tier program. It's a top, it's a, it's one of the top four big 10 programs right now, period, full stop. And, you know, I, I think that's the exciting part for me in, in, in cause you talked about, it. it's like minus the fields factor, minus the fields factor, but let's face it. And, and John, you talked about this. It's strength on strength, right? If we're going to have to, if, if they're going to beat us through the air going against Greg Newsom, fantastic. You earned it. Tip your cap, right? It's not like, it's not like they have some strength that is such a weakness of ours. Right. And then like, to your point, the encouraging part is like, Peyton Ramsey in a 70 degree temperature controlled, you know, take the variables out passing game against that secondary. They have a weakness, right? Our weakness, I would say, is our interior D line, but our linebackers right there and their their weakness is their secondary, right? Like that's the matchup, our pass game against their secondary. And can we contain fields to not give them enough times? Because if you give anyone, if you give that guy seven seconds, he'll eventually either beat you with his arm or his leg. You just have to get to him. So, well, well, I think uh, well, real, real quick, I got to amend what I said earlier, because Matre Hardage did play in that game. I'm looking at the box score now, unless somebody like really mangled this thing. Um, 
And but what maybe he went out, maybe he went out injured mid game. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's what it was. Um but I think like what what jumps out to one of the other things that jumps out to me, what you just said, Jay, is like we've talked a lot about our interior D line. It was it was Spivak and Saunders for the mm-hmm. first what, four games of the year, and it was mm-hmm. just them going wire right. to wire. We've had Trevor Kent come back and play a bit more in the recent in the recent weeks. I don't know if um is it gold? I don't know if yeah, gold. we've had gold's been out, but we've had Butler, you know, we've mm-hmm. had Wyatt Blake. Yeah. yeah so, like there's maybe reason to believe that we've got more in the tank there with, with fresh guys. Um, I'm, I'm curious. And John, this is something that you've talked a lot about vis-a-vis Wisconsin and just how good they are sideline to sideline and that you just can't do anything laterally against Wisconsin. We tried a couple times and they absolutely blew up Kyrick McGowan as soon as we did it. And we're like, all right, not going to bother with that anymore. <laughs> but thinking about this Ohio State team and where their strength is their D-line and their middle linebacker, and they got some problems in the secondary, and like, how good I, are their outside linebackers at getting to the sidelines? Do we no. have an opportunity on the flanks? I don't know. Maybe. My hunch in this game, though, I mean, uh, that's not to dismiss your question. I think it's there. I think we're going to kick the tires on it. My hunch, though, is the ultimate character of this game is we're going to be throwing a good amount more than we're running because it's going to work. Yes. And I think that we're going to throw short, throw intermediate um, and find ways to move the ball with those kind of routes. I think you'll see a lot of Cam Porter. I don't think you're going to see a ton of Cam Porter running wildcat like you no, said. No, no. <laughs> Zero uh, wildcat, It's a different, it's a different kind of character of a game. I do believe though that we are going to kick the tires going side to sideline to sideline with this team. And no, they're not Wisconsin. And I think, you know, it's funny you brought up Wisconsin because Jay, this is something that goes with what you're talking about. Everything you said about Northwestern just now, the exact reverse could be said about Ohio State. And there is this notion right now that Northwestern ain't seen a receiver core like this yet and ain't seen a running game like this yet. And that is horseshit. Like <laughs> it's fields people. It's, it's just in fields. That's the difference. Yeah. You like, you want to like, do you think like Alave and companies the best? Uh, yeah. Let's bring in David Bell and Milton Wright and they can talk to you about who's the best receiver core in the conference because it's that close. Right. And mm-hmm. let you in on a newsflash. Number one rushing team in the conference is Ohio State, who hasn't played us, who hasn't played Wisconsin, who hasn't played Iowa. Number two rush defense in the country, a rush offense in the conference, who, by the way, runs the exact same style of rush offense that Ohio State does, is drumroll Illinois, who, guess what, has played Wisconsin and Iowa and Northwestern, and as we said earlier, all of whom knew they couldn't throw the ball. So it's like this total opposite thing, like, oh, well, you know, they ain't seen Master Teague. No, Master Teague ain't seen us or anything (laughs) closer to us this season. Like, we have amalgams for this. It's the Purdue receiver core, and it's Illinois' running game, who we played a couple of days ago. Fields is the difference, and he is ungodly he's maybe the best player in the country he's on the short list it makes all the difference in the world no argument there but do not buy for a second the notion that this team and this offense as a whole is on some other level than what we've seen this year because they're not yeah i mean it's it's it depending on how many games you've watched you know the stats kind of merit 
the sometimes they don't in this case they do right and i think that's the you know uh they played five games right they've had three they've had 300 yard rushing games of the five right one of the five they're leading rush against nebraska was fields with 54 yards rushing against nebraska right and so the the rush game here is is the change up this is a pass happy team. Right? It is going to come down to Justin Fields going to Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave against RDBs. Period. Like that's it, right? And for us to win this game, you know, you can say Justin Fields is going to have to make some mistakes. I'd like to think the best secondary in the Big 10, right, is going to have to make plays. You know, that's it. It's it's you know, stranger things have happened. And, you know, but look, if, if I've got to put a game in the hands of Greg Newsom, like, I'll take that. Like, that's that's what we want. That's our strength, right? I mean, it's do, so do, quick question. Do any of you see a scenario where we win if we do not win the turnover battle? No, probably, probably not. Probably not. I like, I no. think there's a really good chance that, that, this game is just low on turnovers. I mean, I, I mean, again, I'm, you know, I'm knocking wood, but I suppose I'm not really knocking wood because I'm basically saying I don't think either team will turn it over. But I, I don't know that for sure. Turnovers would certainly help. One thing that I would say is, you know, if you look at Ohio State's offense, who's been shredding people this year, there's no doubt about it, right? Well, if again, super small sample size, right? And again, they haven't played all of the very best defenses in the conference, and. What you do see with all the defenses you look at is Ohio State, if you look at the five teams they've played, Ohio State scores between 10 and 22 points more than that team normally gives up in a game, which on one hand, 22 points, that's a lot. On the other hand, if you're looking at Northwestern, whose scoring defense is the second best scoring defense in the nation right now and the best in the entire Power Five right now, um, 22 points over what we currently give up a game only puts the Buckeyes at 36 points right now. Um, 10 puts them at 26 points. And remember what I said earlier about 25 points being exactly on par with what you'd expect Northwestern to score in this game based on just like everything we've seen so far. Like if you're looking for the scenario, that's the scenario. It's Ohio state scores 10 to 15 points more against us um, than we normally give up. We score five points to seven points above the expectation for what we would score against their defense. And that's it. A 31 to 30 win, a 32 to 31 win or something like that. Like it's not unbelievably hard to envision this scenario. I mean, like there's your roadmap. And then, you know, you bring it back to turnovers in a game like that. One turnover, you know, in the turnover margin would be just like massive. Yeah, I think I think one thing I, we talk about 2019, and I think it's actually the biggest benefit. It's the one benefit that we have in this game. Well, I've mentioned 2018 a thousand times on this podcast. We haven't mentioned last year because I honestly I can't look at it. I didn't look at it. 51 to three, right? Like I I, I don't remember a pl- I was I don't remember a play. I don't remember a play from that game. Like I've somehow blocked it out. If Patty Fisher is confessing that despite all best efforts, that Northwestern did not respect their opponent in Michigan State and took them lighter, like which I heard him say, you can't tell me that Ohio State 
isn't thinking 51 to three and not 2018 third quarter, right? Like they are coming into this game. Look at this. They're watching, they're reading the same stuff. They're hearing the same thing we are like, and I'm sure Ryan day, like if, if Fitz is playing the no one respects us and, and, and John, no one said it better than you. I want to use the corpse of Illinois to kind of whip them with this. Like they, they are the, they're the opposite, right? Ryan day's problem right now is those guys are thinking, are we playing Notre Dame, Clemson, or Alabama, right? Well, and, well, and unlike in years past, December 19th to January 1st is a lot shorter than yes, great you know, point. The two weeks prior when a Big Ten championship would nor- would normally be. So that's like those those teams are on their minds right now for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I think the biggest point you made here, it's like, look. You know, am I going to stay here and say I'm expecting victory? No, I'm not. To your point, um, do I think it's capable? Absolutely. And and John, you said it. There are paths here that Northwestern fans, I think, you know, as biased as we are, if you sat down with an objective person and had the time and the and to get them to listen to this podcast, you start going through and be like, huh, okay, I didn't know that. There's so much laundry brandism going on in this game. It's unbelievable, <laughs> right? on the national narrative. It's incredible. And that's the part that I think is pissed. Everyone's like, okay, enough. Can someone just actually look at the, just, just look. <laughs> right. No, I know. And it's like, I, yeah, sorry, big 10. You're not going to get Iowa, you know, in this game. I, it's like those ridiculous things were to the point. It's like, even after all this, it's like, we're having to justify the fact that we went into Iowa's house again and beat them <laughs> again and that they have two losses and that we have one loss and that it's basic math and it's like yeah they're top three in the conference in offense and defense and you know what that did against us nothing because we beat them in their house um and i love that like, i i love that iowa's fan base um chose yesterday or yesterday afternoon to just conveniently forget about the three turnovers that Northwestern had in the, in the game earlier. Uh-huh. This year. They're like, we turned the ball over three times to you. It was fluky. Blah, blah, blah. Nonsense. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. And, and again, it's like we there, you know, to that point too, because you think of turnovers and you think of the Michigan state game. Right. And not unlike what I said earlier about, look, put all the, the ifs and buts, regarding cam porter out of your mind because we have him right now and he's fresh right now well take the larger context of the michigan state game out of your mind right now would you rather have the team uneasily wearing the mantle of potential playoff team going into ohio state or would you rather have this team who feels like the entire nation could care less about them going into this team going into this game because that's who you've got these guys are this is you know Fitz has these guys just foaming at the mouth right now like there is not a day a minute going by of every practice where he is not reminding them that they are an afterthought that the, John that we, the, we didn't even mention right like it's not just it's not just um fans right it's media the sec I mean within 24 hours of Northwestern clinching the division Fox moves the game from primetime to noon, right? Mm-hmm. Like this game is originally scheduled at primetime. The the Big Ten Championship is a primetime game. It's a nooner. They moved it. Honestly, I don't hate that because like you for for a night game, you have all day to think about it, right? Like you have the entire day to psych yourself out. With with the with an eleven o'clock game, you get up, you get to the stadium, you go. 
And, you know, Northwestern, we're used to these 11 o'clock games. Ohio State plays a lot of night games. They play a lot of, like, late afternoon games. It's kind of like body clock. It's our wheelhouse. Yeah. To your point, Sam, though, too, like for the in the things that are intangibles that probably don't really matter, but we think they do as fans. There's this notion like, OK, this plays up. It's sneaky. Right. It's like it's it's buried in the middle of the day when other stuff's going. Right. It's like it's not the primetime stage against Ohio State. Right. Like it's the somewhat primetime stage, but it's the noon stage, Eastern, 11 Central. And it's like, OK, I, I, I like to your point, I actually like it. And, and not for the body clock, but for the, the for the larger narrative that it's like it, it's bringing the game from this like crazy big stage. John, to your point, like actually, I would I would be terrified if this game were in prime time and we were seven and zero and number right five against number four. Like <laughs> that's the game that we have proven as a program we just don't win that game. Right? Th- this is this this feels like more like the Wisconsin games, right? Or the Iowa top 10 game where it's like, we kind of think we got a shot. No, you were, we're two touchdown plus in this game, 20 point. Yeah, you, you 20 get, and a half like right now. Game, oh yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And I think there's, there it's, there's this moment this season where you really last week sometime really where I think everyone just kind of reached a point where we were all like the entire Northwestern fan base like was pushed a bridge too far (laughs) and now everyone is just lost like there was a moment um uh, someone who like this was not the fault of the person who wrote the article uh I want to make that clear very clear because this person uh quite possibly is listening to this podcast. This was not the fault. This was an editorial decision, but they asked Fitz what he thought about, um, you know, the Ryan day decision and Fitz, regardless of what he, you know, truly thinks made an absolutely diplomatic, good mm-hmm. decision. It's like, yeah, we totally supported. They're the best team. They deserve to be in the game, etc. Um, and then the ESPN editorial staff on the layout presented that as a headline that was, Northwestern coach agrees with decision uh, to let Ohio State in. And I was like, do you think for a second, if that was Ryan Day, they'd say Ohio State coach agrees with decision? It's like, no. (laughs) And I like in my head, I'm like, it's freaking Pat Fitzgerald. He's one of the most known people in the country. He's not Northwestern coach. Um, You know, it's like they're. It's it's not like they interviewed Kurt Anderson and got his quote, and they were like, "Hey, Northwestern <laughs> coach, you might not know uh, average American." But I mean, that that might sound ticky tack, but the point is right. We've all been pushed a bridge too far, and yeah. every single little thing now is disrespect. And if that's how we feel, you can only imagine how the team feels. And and you know, of course, Fitz is the wizard, the wizard, the disrespect wizard of Orland Park. Uh, is got these guys going, you know, just going, just balls to the wall here, um, prepared for this game. You know, can I, can I stay on that soapbox for a second on the branding? Cause I I, I want top level, right? Like big picture for, for Northwestern fans. Cause we can debate where this game ranks. We could debate where this game went if a win, where it would rank. Right. Because you're, you're, 1995 notwithstanding it's it's pretty easily number one right it's it's number one win of the century for this century for sure right so but you know odds are you know statistically speaking that we don't win and and you know i think that's the part here it's like i am so tired of uh the narrative 
and I've, I've said it several times here, and, and what's killing me, guys, is 2019. You can't take it away. You can't mm-hmm. say what it could have should. It's like we went, we won one game. You know, it's, I, I did this today just just for fun. If you took this season in 2018 and added wins together, who do you think has the most wins in those two seasons? Entire conference. Northwestern. Yeah. Yeah. More so than Ohio State. Now, granted, it's because we've played, you know, two more games than them this year, but and have one more win, right? But but still, it's like that 2019 season, if, if there's one lesson and, and Fitz, you know, pounded his fist and it, it's like, we can't have the big dip. It, it For whatever reason, it's like a five-year snapback from a branding perspective. Because I also did this. You know, I'm so tired of like polls and brand, you know, just brand disregard. I went and looked. Curious. Fitz, in the entire Fitz career from 20, 2006 to 2020, how many times do you think we were ranked in the preseason? Once, maybe? I think yes. it's one or zero. Maybe. I would <laughs> one. say twice. Yeah. One. 2013, coming off the 2020, 2012 season. Wow. We We've been ranked in eight different seasons, okay? Including this one. We'll have end, we, will end, we will end the season ranked six of those seasons. Right, and oh, by the way, in 2010, started five and zero. You remember that team, right? Yep. It didn't get ranked, right? What five and zero Big Ten? What team starts five and zero in the Big Ten and doesn't get ranked? I mean, like in in the in the 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 part that I had. This is a whole other podcast. The problem I have with this, and we, John, you guys do it on the podcast, right? Going into the season, what do you do? You look at who's coming back, right? And so, like, whole other thing here. Depending on who comes back, we should be. You know, if the right people come back, we should be mentioned along with Iowa and possibly Wisconsin as Big Ten West favorites next year, right? If the right people come back. And even if they don't, we're at a point where the program has earned that respect. I don't yeah, know. Right? I don't know. Graham Mertz looked pretty awesome against Illinois. So I don't. <laughs> but I mean, it's like, what other program, what other program ends the season ranked more and then doesn't get preseason ranked, which, you know what, people are like, well, what does that mean? And like, it means a ton. If you're preseason ranked, you you magically stay up, right? Like Notre, how many times has Notre Dame been ranked two and two, right? At two and two, because they started the season ranked twelve because of their brand, right? And then TV slotting and which impacts recruiting. Like this stuff matters. And and to your point, like when Fox moved the game to noon, I think that was my tipping point, <laughs> and it's just kept rolling Every, since there. Oh, everyone's got one. And I think that's like that we we got that lofty ranking after the Illinois game. And then after the Michigan State game, everyone had the malaise and then it dropped. And then there was the there's the oh, well, we're still ranked 14th, but uh, and things didn't go. And then slowly over the past couple of weeks since then, it's morphed to like looking around and being like, wait a minute. Why are we only 14th? Why are we only 15th in the AP poll? You start looking at people above us and being like wait, what's, what's the deal here? And then you even start looking at an Iowa at this point and be like, is Iowa ranked as low as they are because people feel like they can't yep. be pushed up to the point where they'd bump into us because they can't go higher than us? And it's like, you're looking around and being like, Oklahoma? Like, what? Like, what? Like, what? what is going on here? Iowa State? What? Um, and I mean, we love them. They're like Cinderella of the nation, you know, story. But you're like, Watching Coastal barely beat App State and being like, "What? 
in and Troy. Like, right. So right. And, my, my and, biggest thing is, so Indiana doesn't play and goes up one. We win and don't move. Right. Well, and, I think the other thing and the other thing that's driving people nuts. And again, this is this is this is an important one to mention, too, because like Indiana's no stranger to being disrespected themselves. So I don't want to make it seem like the conference right. is moving is moving deck chairs around for Indiana because like Indiana will be the first to be like, no, that's total BS. And they'd be right. But it does sting a little bit, right, that there's a really good chance that. I think everyone is already jumping ahead because to our whole disrespect point, right? Everyone's already jumping ahead and be like, when Ohio State beats Northwestern, the big beneficiary is going to be Indiana, who, by the way, doesn't have to play Iowa this week because Michigan gets to play Iowa for, or, or should we say Iowa gets to play Michigan mm-hmm. uh, for mm-hmm. basically laundry reasons um, because right. Michigan's still Michigan, which is a joke. But well, hold, I, hold on, uh, well, hold on. They're letting Indiana and Purdue have their annual so, rivalry well, game, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. All right. Great. But that's cel- celebration for Purdue again. Who? I mean, for Indiana, who gets to play their rivalry game and also gets to play Purdue because the Fiesta Bowl might be regard, you know, might be riding on that for them. And yeah. if Indiana were to get clocked by Iowa, Indiana ain't going to the Fiesta Bowl. But with one loss. And then this Northwestern loss that everyone's already penciling in at the hands of Ohio State, Indiana stands, stands to win out. So it's just one more thing because it's like, you know, with all due respect, we won our side of the division, did not lose a game on our side of the conference. And I think there was this idea that either, you know, either in the CFP discussion or they're just out of the discussion entirely. And it's like, no, we're right here. Um, yeah, I mean, John, to that point, and, and Eric, jump in here. Like, I- my, my bone to pick already. I'm already barring problems from the future. And it's, there's not one, we're, we're going to move up two spots, right? In the CFP. I think we'll be 12, right? Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I, I think like Miami, Miami gets annihilated by North Carolina, right? North how Carolina how far do they drop three. Florida after they threw a Correct. shoe? After the, after the through the shoe game, right? So there's a path there that we're in the top 12. And why is that important? Well, New Year's six, Right. You have four. The top four teams go to the CFP, and then there are you have the Fiesta Bowl, Orange Bowl, Cotton Bowl, Peach Bowl. Eight slots, right? I'm not good at math, but eight eight plus four is twelve. And I'm already looking like to that point. Like, let's face it, Indiana is buoyed by their comeback against Ohio State. That forty. That's like the most quality loss possibly of the Big Ten in the last. I don't know how long. Like it is. It is catapulted their brand, right? Well, that, that and, and, and barely edging out a Penn State team that ended up being garbage. Right. And, and let's say, I want to be fair. Indian is a very good football team. Yeah, for sure. Most, for sure. I respect them. I like them. Right. But when you start breaking it down and you go, okay, you know, Indiana, wherever they're going to be in the, in the CFP and Northwestern, like, I think we feel pretty darn like close to that Indiana team. Right. That would be a very, very good game. I think Vegas, like what the point spread would be definitely less. I don't know, three points, two points, who knows what it would be, yeah. right? But so anyway, my point being, I've, I've gone down the road. Okay, let's say we lose 42 to 35 or 35, 31-21 to Ohio State, and it's a respectable game, it's close games, you know, like, if it goes down that path. I'm sitting there and being like, okay, so now you're 6-2, and two, you're a Big Ten West champ, other teams are going to fall. There's a very good chance we could end up in the in the top 12 in the CFP and still not go to the New Year's, New Year's 6. And that's where it's just like, like people already slotted us in the citrus bowl, right? And it's just 
that's the stuff that those are the little things that that's a big deal in this year being in a new year's i i, I it's probably the the most important year to be in it from an exposure standpoint there's so few bowl games the ratings i'm expecting will be up because there's just scarcity and, and this is the stuff like it's exhausting. It's I'm I'm exhausted listening to myself. Just fight for respect, and that's why, at the end of the day, I push away from the table. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to rationalize and, and go in with a close loss. To your point, John, give me a path. I have I, never wanted to I, beat a team so badly as I, I did this week. Oh, <laughs> Indiana can't go to the Fiesta Bowl. That's Ohio State's spot. That's where Ohio State belongs in the Fiesta Bowl after they get knocked out of the CFP. And they have to go there, and they end up there, and everyone's like, "So you've played six games, and you've and you lost one of them, huh?" Like, while well, everyone's like, "Boy, like Ohio State, kind of like that's what I want. I want to crush their dreams and have them go off to a non-CFP bowl, wondering what the heck happened to them. Like that is the goal right now. Like I want to wreck that season. I want to wreck this five games where everything, heaven and earth, have been moved to position them." For their shot in the playoff, um, and we just come in and wreck that narrative. Um, and that's like you know, I think everyone is you know, all of our focus has narrowed um, to to only that. Um, and I think that's that's great. I mean, that's the exact position that we want to be in. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think I think the last piece there too is even from the Northwestern filter, right? Like, of course, we're going to look at it. It's like you look at the last decade of game. We don't play Ohio State that much. They absolutely annihilated last year, right? Which makes you think, okay, just as like, oh, the same old, same old. You look back at 2018. What we haven't even talked about, you go back to 2016 in that game at the shoe and Austin Carr. I mean, that thing came down to the final possession, right? You go back to 2013, the the other big time. It's like, and, and by the way, in every one of these games, we've been underdogged by 20 plus points, right? And so we've been here before. The program has competed with Ohio State before in big games. We just haven't got over the hump. And so it's like, you know, to your point, I think it's absolutely possible to do it here. And it's, to me, more so than in most of the other games, you're you're like, oh, my God, like we have to have a plus four turnover ratio. How are we going to do it? In this game, kind of toe to toe, clearly they're better. They've got more talent than we do. But the, the, the matchups are, to me, what's intriguing as we've gone through here. And for the first time, I'm going in being like, okay, not feeling like I have to have all these other things happen to have a chance other than like just not let, you know, the, the fields factor, which we've talked about. And, and to me, that's it's exciting. If we don't win, we don't win. But, but damn it, would this feel good? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, again, just the one thing to put a bow on it. There is not one guy in that locker room who's going, can you imagine if we actually won? Can you imagine how great well that said. would be? Not well one guy. What they're thinking is, we are coming for you. Mm-hmm. We are coming for you. You don't respect us, but you will. That is the mindset. And it's like, that's why we're all so fired up right now. We're fired up with anger and disrespect. And we want this one so bad. And it's the right place to be. To that point, allow me to just read a list of names, and I think you guys will know where I'm going here. Isaiah Bowser, Riley Lees, Kyrick McGowan, <laughs> Berkeley Holman, Travis Willick, Patty Fisher, Blake Gallagher, J.R. Pace, 
Ernest Brown, Greg Newsom, Cameron Ruiz, Fred Wyatt, RCB. These guys all played against Ohio State in 2018. Yep. They all had they and and they were on the score sheet. There's probably a handful of other guys that got in the game at some point that maybe didn't, you know, hit the score sheet. There's certainly a handful of other guys that were part of the experience that are on this team. And you know, Jay, I lo- like thank you for for sharing that perspective with us earlier. That like this means something. I think it probably means something for the coaches too to be in this yeah. matchup for a second time and yes. and to not be you know, going through all of this for the first time only. And I'm sure it's going to be weird because of COVID and everything else. But if, if anything, all those factors play play can be played to our hand a little bit. And and plus let's also, you know, reading between the lines, if this is Mike Hankowitz's last game as defensive coordinator, if he is retiring, which nothing has been said, but starting to, you read between the lines, even going back to the beginning of the season and just kind of, get the sense that that might be uh, might be on the horizon. You know yeah. this defense wants to go out and just yes. ball out for him. I'd yeah. be stunned if this not it's not, right? Like Fitz, Fitz quite literally broke down and got choked up just referencing Hank in the postgame yesterday. So I, I got the sense there. But, you know, I, I think it's, well, he's, it is, and I think he's got right. I mean, if, if that's true, he's got two games left. I think there's, there's the Broyles Award. There's everything else. I mean, it's all these things, right? It's all yep. if they're if the defenders are thinking, oh, that's just one other thing. It's one other thing that is a motivator, completely separate for. Oh, gee whiz! Imagine if we could actually pull this off. It's like no. It's like we hate them. We want to defend the honor of our coach who's going on the way out. You know, it's it's all of those things. It's all just like. Angry, determined motivation. It's just guys like, and to Scuzz's point, listed all those guys. Guys just wanting it so bad. And it's like, you know who like wasn't playing in that game in 2018? Any of these Ohio State secondary guys. (laughs) Like these dudes don't like this. This is all, they're all like brand new. They've barely played five games this season. And just the the degree of guys who are, right, like Scuzz said, offense and defensive battle-tested sides who just, who want, every and all bit of Ohio State in this one. Yeah, this is their third game since November 7th. Think about that. It's wild. Right? And so here's my last piece, though, and and I'll shut up after this, and that's hard for me to do, but I I think that the bigger picture narrative here that we've kind of glossed over in the big picture, Northwestern's offense, right? And and you guys have been masterful about talking about this. Statistically, if if I rattled off the stats... And, and put this season stats um, into the the last five or six years of Mick McCall, you wouldn't be able to discern, right? Nope. You wouldn't. It's pretty between, ugly. Pre, between scoring, any anyway, we're a hundredth in terms of yards per game on offense, right? Like you go down the metrics, it's it's a below average offense statistically, right? And so the I the next step, and, and, and we're not going to do it on Saturday against Ohio State per se, right? And and we're going to have to do with a mix of defense and offense. The next step for this program, though, for all this narrative, I'm a firm believer that we have to make that next jump on offense. Just because the sex appeal of offense, people like to to watch games with offense. You get higher ranked if you've got an offense. Like it's the missing piece is that is that scoring piece for us, and we've got to find a way between now and next year to kind of 
you know, up the scoring. We got to be in the thirties. We got to be, and we have to have that fun to watch factor on offense that, that, which for so many years, ironically was Northwestern's brand, which was like, well, they're not that great at D, but man, are they fun to watch? And they move the ball around right in the early part of the century. And we'll talk, you guys can talk about that in the off season. That would be my request is like, how do we, how do we get there? And I know it's, it's been tough Jake's first year, but and yeah. he's done a lot of really good things that you guys have talked about, but we, that that's the next step for this program for us truly being a CFP contender. Well, Adam Rittenberg totally agreed last week when we had him on and was talking about that. That's like the missing piece. And like, that's one of the dominoes that you hope to, you know, you talk about branding. That's one of the places where it's going to be reflected. I would say um, the one big thing I would say, and I, I think someone mentioned it earlier, could have been Sam, could have been Scuzz, but um, with all of that, you don't have to work hard to close your eyes and imagine Peyton Ramsey walking around, you know, running around in a weatherless dome, slinging seven and eight yard darts to mm-hmm. John Rain and RCB and Riley Lees and us working our way down the field with those kind of passes. Like everyone is familiar with that. Everyone yep. knows that. And I think that's the that's the silver lining in the future. You're absolutely right. And you hope that all this and, and everything that comes from this game and everything that comes from this season and the past seasons and all of it is going to build that trajectory, the, the recruiting and build the upward trajectory of the offense and everything. But this group right now for one game in this dome against this defense absolutely has a path to getting it done. Well, I think with that, we should uh, put a bow on this one. I mean, we could be, we could talk about this all day and I know we will continue to talk about this, uh, you know, all day, all night for the next week uh, as we you know, lead into uh, the big 10 championship game on Saturday, uh, Fox at noon Eastern, uh, 11 central. Um, Jay, thanks so much for taking the time out of your evening to, to jump on with us. Uh, we really appreciate all that you've done for the program and, um, yeah, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Well, it's, it's an honor and a privilege. You guys put so much into it. And, and, uh, the second this thing gets published every week is the start to whatever week that is. And to be part of your championship week, uh, coverage is is an honor so thanks for everything you guys do and I, you know i'll just add on top of everything else here for all of you who are listening i mean like again this will be up at the beginning of the week but um this has never been a more angry and a more engaged fan base than it is right now as evidenced by like <laughs> what's going on with our twitter feed and everything and that's great i mean we'll be there with you um listen to that pod right off give it one listen give it two listens give it three listens get it deep into your bloodstream at this at the start of the week um and then you know come engage with us on twitter talk about us you know if you got topics you want to go at things you want to discuss you just want to vent some more um we've had some of our most viewed tweets ever just based on people being like yeah that's right this effing sucks and then just like going back and forth on things bring it um bring it to us let's talk about it let's go at it and let's all get fired up for a massive game in northwestern football history well um always great to have jay on and you know just as we're about to hit stop uh we got some breaking news um something that uh, oh boy, reports are coming out. Pete Thamel from Yahoo is uh, saying the ACC is finalizing a deal to hire Jim Phillips as their next commissioner. 
It's one of those things, right, where it's like, uh, like, Jim Phillips is a rising star. Like, the guy's a, a comet. Like, his his ceiling is NCAA president or similar, right? I mean, like, this is a logical progression for him. He could have been the Big Ten commissioner last year. Um, this is all totally logical, makes sense. Just the timing just sucks. Like, that's that's the bottom line. It's just the not the week, not the day just like not now we didn't need this right now yeah the timing is the timing is a real bummer it it is in retrospect and i i honestly hadn't been thinking about this i mean especially with covid and everything else happening this this fall like him not getting the big 10 the big 10 commissioner job last year which i i think he was part of the search committee i i believe at the time there were some questions maybe some articles about like oh is is that did he want that yada 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 clearly he did this is not a like oh jim phillips is interviewing for or jim phillips might be considered for no i think the i think the the writing here is that he's got the job if he wants it and that they're working through the contract details and he is probably going to be the next commissioner of the ACC and that's certainly a bummer for northwestern i think like I guess I'll say this, like what, what makes me feel maybe a, just a, a teensy bit better about the future is, is Jim Phillips has done an, an enormous amount for Northwestern and for the programs there. You think about the lakefront facility, you think about the health of all the different squads. You think about Welsh Ryan. Um, the guy has been just a warrior for Northwestern and I mean, he, he's won like the, the AD of the year award on yeah, mu- multiple so- occasions, right? Like he, he was going to go at some point. So, you know, this, this timing with everything that's going on with the football team and what we're so excited about next weekend is, is a bummer at the same time. The last guy who was athletic director at Northwestern is still the president of the green Bay Packers. So like Northwestern is going to do a good job finding the next guy to, to carry forward uh, Northwestern athletics. Um, And that's, that's a good place to be. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he left this program in a fantastic situation. You know, like you said, the lakefront facility, the Welsh Ryan arena, just the amount of money that he has raised for this program. And like, it's a, it's a very healthy athletic program. And, you know, we're not in a situation where we're cutting sports the way we're seeing it in schools around the country. You know, we're in good shape. And, you know, all of that has, you know, Jim Phillips, we have Jim Phillips, we have Jim Phillips to thank for that. All true. Um, with all of this said, again, there will be days, weeks, months to feet Jim Phillips and all of his yes. accomplishments yep. right now. Yep. And that's this goes to the 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 crap timing right now. I mean, again, we just did it for an hour and forty five minutes, but um, let's not lose sight. Like this week is about um, the football team, and this week is about what they can accomplish and all of the. Um, disrespect that they have to deal with and the business that they need to handle um, and want desperately to handle and let's all not lose sight of that there will be plenty of time uh, to talk Jim Phillips and and all of his good works and everything but let's do our best to keep this keep our eyes on the prize and make this week about uh, about the boys 100% uh, so we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight head to our website westlawpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates, and you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the Westlaw Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. 
For John Lacombe and Eric Scasby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.